This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. started hunting, it changed me profoundly in ways that I wasn't expecting. And I think the easiest way to describe it is that, you know, I've been a naturalist my whole life. I've been a hiker my whole life. Um, I, I, being outdoors has always been important to me. So I thought that I understood what it meant to connect with the natural world. And hunting told me that I had no idea. Hey guys, that's Marsha, this week's inspiring guest. Marsha's the program manager of Artemis, a community of bold sportswomen changing the face of conservation. In this episode, we talk about taking a stand, using your voice, and how the outdoors has shaped us and why we must come together to protect it. It's about taking action and getting out there, whatever that looks like for you. This is such a good conversation, and I'm so glad you're here. As always, I'm Steph. You're listening to the Woods and Waters Project. Da, 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 da. Ba, ba, ba. Marsha, how are you? I'm good, Steph. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for making good. this work. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I'm proud of our persistence. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same. It's been like almost, uh, well, uh, 10 months, 10 months later. 
<laughs> better late than never yeah. for sure <laughs> i i'm so excited to talk to you i feel like there's been so many things i wanted to to ask you in that time that have changed and i'm i'm going to kind of just go with the flow on this call if if that's cool that sounds you. great um yeah it is it is so great to finally talk to you and i you know <laughs> almost fangirl a little bit because <sighs> When it's been almost two years now, when I, I don't even know how I came across Artemis Sportswoman, um, but I think I was kind of looking for something like that because a couple years ago, I was just feeling really like a part of me was missing and I just keep having this like pull to throw myself deep back into hunting and then share about it and empower others to do it. And when I came across artist, uh, Artemis Sportswoman, um, it just felt like something that, like a message that I was trying to convey and the type of people I wanted to be around. And I really wasn't around um, other women like that or folks like that at all. So when I first came across that, uh, I was just incredibly inspired. And I would, I would just kind of go back to it for inspiration. And um, I came across your information and you know your story and thought it was fantastic and it was just very inspiring to me in a time where I wasn't feeling very inspired (laughs) and uh, so it was really cool that you got back to me and um, have stayed in touch with me over the last 10 months but I just wanted to to share that with you but if you if you would introduce yourself to our listeners that would be great yeah well first thank you um Thank you. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm very happy that it resonated. Um, my name is Marsha Brownlee. I am the program manager for Artemis Sportswomen. Um, what other information do you have to know about me? <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I grew up in Michigan. I um, have been a, a happy Montanan for the last, oh my gosh, almost 12 years now. Um, and I started to hunt and fish. Well, I started to fish about 10 years right along the time I first started uh, living in Montana and then I've been hunting for about six years. Awesome. How did you, what was that turning point when you, when you got into hunt, into hunting and fishing? Yeah. So I think, um, I, I grew up in, in Southern Michigan and being out in nature was always a vacation aspect for us. I mean, that's what my family did when we vacationed. We um, went to campgrounds. We spent time in the natural world. We got out of the city. Uh, and so that was always a place that I sought for for rest and for relaxation and for re-energizing. And um, after uh, my undergrad in Michigan, I spent uh, seven years in Boston, uh, just outside of Boston, and then two years in Colorado, um, and then moved to Montana. And I think moving to Montana was the first time that I realized and was a, uh, a conscious and intentional part of why I moved to Montana. But it was the first time that I was able to have access to the natural world. I'm going to start that over. Um, <laughs> it was the first time that it, because it wasn't the first time that I was able to have access to, but it's the first time that I intentionally made the natural world, a part of my everyday lifestyle. 
and I think when you're in, if you make any sort of friends <laughs> in Montana, um, <laughs> chances are uh, a lot of them fish. Oh, and yeah. so, yeah. And so it started by just spending um, days on the side of the river with friends who are fishing or, you know, packing a, a fishing rod into the backcountry on our hiking trips. And, um, you know, you can only sit and watch I can only sit and watch so many times before uh, I want to give it a try myself. Uh, and so that's how I got into fishing. And then with hunting, it was a little bit, um, a, a bit of a, a longer journey for me. Uh, I do think it holds true that if you make any sort of friendships with people in Montana, then chances are one of them hunts. Like that holds true throughout. Um, but I hadn't, uh, I hadn't, I don't know. I'd have to, I might have to think back and examine the statement, um, but I don't remember uh, having ever shot a gun before, uh, even though my dad hunted and we had um, rifles in the house when I was growing up. So, you know, I was, I was familiar with having them around, but I don't think that I ever shot one myself. Sure. Um, again, I'll examine that statement later to, <laughs> to think back if it's real or not. Um, uh, but when my dad and my mom moved out to Montana two years after I did, um, and they lived just uh, like an hour away from me. And at that point, my dad has had decided in his uh, um, post child life to delve more deeply into hunting. So he was becoming a more avid hunter and in part moved to Montana um, so he could have greater access to the big game animals that he wanted to hunt. Um, so that was part of the reason that they came out here. And the other part of the reason was that my mom was sick. She had Alzheimer's. And, uh, so my dad moved out here, um, so he could support his own mental health and then also have my support and the support of, of my cousin, um, who we're also very close with. And so, uh, in the intervening years between when they moved out here and when I started to hunt, I asked him to teach me how to shoot. And so I feel like, um, that was almost the final barrier between me um, thinking about hunting and me actually uh, starting to hunt. Um, and it just kind of snowballed from there because he, uh, I, always, I joke occasionally, I don't know if he's heard me make this joke, but I joke occasionally that one of his uh, languages of love was gift giving. He's incredibly generous to the point where I have to be a little cautious about what I mention I might want yeah. <laughs> I'm around yeah, him. I get that. <laughs> um, but anyway, he took me to the rifle range and I shot his 270. Um, and he quickly realized that the recoil was a bit much for me. So he um, gifted me with a 7mm-8. And so now I had a rifle of my own. Um, he was hunting. Uh, the boyfriend I had at the time was an avid hunter. And so that quickly led to me walking in the woods uh, with my rifle. And from there, it really was just a snowball because I, um, it it changed my connection to the natural world and kind of my understanding of what hunting was or could be uh, in ways that I wasn't expecting, yeah. um, and proved to be really vital. I think in the last the last years of my mom's life, while we were supporting her and kind of working through our own process, it, that hunting became uh, a really important of part of that processing for me. Yeah, I can very much relate to that. Uh, I think it's good or bad. It's how I 
deal with almost everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's an incredible yeah. story. And I'm, I'm really sorry to hear about your mom. Yeah. Thank you. That, but that, that's like real powerful stuff. And that's, you know, uh, you know, I, you and I haven't talked much before, but that's kind of the purpose behind this podcast is just perspectives and experiences from different outdoorsmen that aren't even directly related to, you know, an exact hunting or outdoor situation. Um, mm-hmm. they, it has healing powers and empowering powers and uh, teaches you things about life that you don't really see coming. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I, I love to share about because we're all people and we have all different experiences, but similar. We're all so much more alike than we are. And I think uh, bringing light to how the outdoors affects us um, directly or indirectly is, you know, what's what it's all about for me. I, I want to share that because I think the outdoors is for everybody. Um, and I, uh, you know, maybe not the super hardcore stuff, maybe that's not for everybody, but I think the outdoors is for everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, and my time in Montana, I have said this before in this podcast, I think the folks in Montana are next level. Like I always call them Mm -hmm. next level because I've spent a little bit of time out there. I was out there in July for a week, uh, with my boyfriend and a lot of his friends and they showed us, um, a really good time. And yeah, it seems like everyone can fish or uh, has a raft or a boat <laughs> or is like an extreme like hiker hunter. It's incredible. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's definitely, I know uh, it's a large part of why people um, live out here in the first place and we all take advantage of it. And it's just, doesn't matter where you are in Montana. Uh, and I love that about it. I really, really do. Um, no matter where you go, no matter who you're talking to, uh, they, the natural world's a really important part of their life. Yeah, that, that's, I agree. In the, in the couple times that I've been there, that's very evident. Um, just in the conversations you have or, uh, <laughs> I, when I was, okay, so we decided to float the Yellowstone and, and fish, fish along nice. the way. So we parked one vehicle on one end and another at the other, right? Because uh-huh. you need to be able to get back to where you started. That's common sense. I know that. I still some for for some reason decided to lock the keys in the vehicle that we started at. <laughs> the vehicle that we oh, ended at. <laughs> oh crap! And it, we we fished until dark. Um, and we it was my boyfriend uh, and him and I are from Iowa, but he lived in Montana for some time. So he's and he's a pretty. I would say he is. My boyfriend is very next level for the state. We're from Iowa. He is. He is as next level as it gets for Iowa, and I'm pretty close. But that is like nothing compared to like the extremists in Montana. Yep. <laughs> like yep. not even compared for better and for worse. Yeah, exactly. Sure. <laughs> and the friends we were with, the the guy in particular, we get to the end. You know, it's pitch dark outside, and it's very dark in Montana. Like there are not lights. <laughs> so at least where we were, it was like you could not, you couldn't really see in front of your face. And he's just super cool about it. He's like, hey. He's like, this happens all the time. He's like, you don't think this happens to people all the time? He goes, we're gonna get, we're gonna get a ride. Someone's gonna pick us up. We'll hitchhike back to the the truck, and we're about seven miles away. And uh, my my boyfriend is just looking at me like he's gonna kill me, but trying to keep <laughs> us cool. And his friend is just geeking out, like thinks it's the best thing ever. He's like, no, he's like, guys, it's gonna be totally fine. And we are walking out of the parking lot, and first off. 
Uh, when my boyfriend lived there, there was like a grizzly bear incident right there that he knew of. So he's like telling me, remember that grizzly bear incident I told you about? This is where that was. <laughs> and I'm like, great. And we're walking and out from the top of the mountains. I'm not, this is insane. Top of the mountains where no one else is out there. All of a sudden this green, this green laser comes from the top of the mountains across our faces. And we're like, what is happening? Like, I don't know if someone was just messing with us from, you know, it was like a laser you would have on a gun kind of thing. Um, it happened twice while we were walking and was following our faces. So that was a very weird. Creepy. My, again, my boyfriend is just giving me all the looks, at least from what I can tell, I can feel his presence in the darkness and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we walk by and we're walking out of the parking lot and we hear the, you know, and I jump back and I'm like, that has to be a rattlesnake. The, the one friend who's from Montana had a headlight, shined it. We walked right by a rattlesnake. Um, so we're not even on the road yet. We walk about two miles before anyone decides they will pick us up. And they, and, oh, they, wow. and, and someone did. Um, and, you know, again, from Iowa, hitchhiking is not really a thing. So I was pretty sketched out in the first place. And get in the back of this guy's truck and there's a shovel back there. <laughs> like we're gonna die this is how we die and uh the guy was nice as could be took us back to our truck everything was fine um but you know our buddy who's born and raised there very capable guy he's like you know people know that you're kind of always slightly possibly in danger here like people want to help you and they and they want they want to like see you be okay He's like, it's all yep. good. Just like was so, so chill. But that was, that's my story. <laughs> that's crazy. I'm actually, yeah. I mean, your buddy's right. I actually kind of surprised that you guys had to walk two miles before somebody offered to pick you up because there's kind of an unspoken rule that you make sure um, everybody's okay. Cause next time it's going to be you yeah. um, who needs something. Yep. And, and that's what he, yeah. And that's what he said. And uh yeah, it, it, it was a very eye-opening experience, but it's funny. Like, you know, looking back, it's a, it's a funny story, but... Um, <laughs> Wasn't at the time. No. <laughs> like, I was laughing, but I think it was nervous laughter the entire yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, but Mo- Montana has been very special to me, and I see that in just the short times that I've been there, and I think, think it makes you... If you put yourself out there, it'll make you capable. It'll teach you some lessons, I feel. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> And uh, could so you are the program coordinator, right, with Artemis? Yep. And um, could you could you tell us a little bit about what artist Artemis Sportswoman is? Yeah, uh, Artemis. We are an initiative of the National Wildlife Federation, uh, and so as part of the NWF, they they realized that there was an important voice in the sporting world that wasn't being heard on conservation issues. And so they put together Artemis as a special outreach to uh, engage and amplify sportsmen's voice. And so from there, our, our mission has really broadened to um, encompass a couple of things. One is community. Um, you know, there's, there's, when you're talking about recruitment, retention, and reactivation of hunters, which is a big conversation across the country right now and an important conversation. Um, I think when you're talking about specifically reaching out to new demographics of hunters and women are the largest growing demographic of hunters across the country in a field that's generally 
um, on the decline, our numbers are increasing. But retention is still an issue um, for, for a variety of reasons. Like you get a woman into a, a you know, hunting 101 mentorship program um, and, and our participation in those is really high. But then after that, it's, it's, it seems that people are having a hard time in figuring out what the next step is. And so our answer to that is community. Um, like you said, it's, it's hard to find other women to hunt with. And there's something really incredibly special about hunting with other women. So one of the roles that we're doing is building community and connecting women to each other and amplifying sportswomen's voice and visibility in the national conversation about hunting and fishing, who hunts, why they do it, what it means to them, uh, how they do it, just telling a different story uh, through our own voices. And then as a part of that, um, emphasizing and again, kind of engaging people in the same mentorship program uh, that conservation is absolutely 100% a part of being a hunter and an angler. Uh, if, if you love hunting and you love fishing, then you have to be knowledgeable about and speak up on conservation issues. And, and we're there to, um, to mentor women to do that as well and to offer an opportunity to learn how to do it effectively. Yeah, awesome. That is seriously important work and I've, I've watched a couple of your like tips and tricks videos and different stuff on the Artemis uh, there's an Artemis podcast as well uh, <laughs> that I've checked out and something that I've seen a lot is okay so I'm probably skipping some steps here but once you know who you're looking to talk to like the government official or the different who whose story um, um, I'm not I'm not using my words very well here like <clears throat> when you're going to make that difference, because people, I think a lot of people want to make a difference. When hunting and fishing in the outdoor world is important to them, they want to, I, I think that the genuine intention is they want to do something to give back, but they don't know where to start or who to mm -hmm. go to. And then once they get to that person, now what do they do? And mm -hmm. a lot of what I've seen on, you you guys have, have shared, is just to talk about your own personal story. And like, it doesn't have to be, this technical st statistical conversation it's about like why it's important to you and why this matters and mm -hmm. and sharing that um which i think is really which is really cool um mm -hmm. but if you are someone who wants to be informed but maybe aren't like where where would you have someone look to yeah to start making those changes um that's a that's an excellent question and it's uh uh it's a it's a tricky question and it's not a tricky question. And I think it's a tricky question because these conservation issues that we're dealing with are incredibly complex and you're sorting through a lot of um, political jargon and marketing <laughs> to be blunt yeah. to uh, of the facts to get to um, the truth of the situation. So it can be really, really complex to filter through all of that information, particularly if you're coming from a layperson's perspective, like I was when I started with Artemis, there's just the learning curve is steep uh, and these issues are complex. Uh, and so I think, I think within that, the best advice I can give somebody on how to start and where to start is to find an organization you trust or organizations because um, you know, you, you're dealing with with so many issues um, from from climate change to declining uh, mule deer populations to oil and gas um, 
development in migration corridors. There's just a lot and organizations tend to um, focus on different things. So sometimes it's more than one organization. Sometimes it's, it's national organizations like the National Wildlife Federation um, or Mule Deer Fanatics. And sometimes it's local organizations and um, that, that focus most, especially on state issues. And so find an organization that you trust. And if you're, if people are looking for a place to start, one of the reasons I love being a part of the National Wildlife Federation is because it is a true federation. We have state-based affiliate organizations across the country um, that that work on state issues and then come together and collectively they form and vote on the priorities of the National Wildlife Federation. So these are uh, local organizations like um, Wyoming Wildlife Federation, Montana Wildlife Federation, there's Florida Wildlife Federation, in Michigan it's the Michigan United Conservation Clubs, uh, in there's the Northwest Steelheaders Association. Uh, each state uh, has an affiliate working specifically on state-based conservation issues. Uh, and you can find a link to all of them on the National Wildlife Federation page that will tell you who your state affiliate is. Um, I think they're an excellent place to start. Awesome. And <laughs> just find an organization that fits your needs uh, and those the, the people who dedicate their time to those organizations are almost always thrilled to talk to people about conservation issues. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, for me, I, I can't you know speak for everybody listening, but for me, <clears throat> sometimes I think it's like the voice in my head telling me like, well, what's my one story and opinion gonna matter? You know, like, is, yeah. it, is it gonna make a difference? And um, I will say just from my own personal experience so far, <clears throat> not even, not even reaching necessarily out to like government officials, but me just starting to share uh, my 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 dreams, goals, my um, failures and mistakes, uh, successes mm -hmm. with the outdoors. Just starting to share more of that on the podcast, on social media, um, joining some organizations and help mentoring people. I have found that um, mm -hmm. I have impacted a lot of people that I didn't really see coming and, and inspired a lot of people and made them just feel like wanted and seen, which then therefore, uh, as a mentor has made me want to become even more so, um, involved and, um, educated on things and <laughs> care about it even more because the second you, I, I don't know, get, get a piece of hunting or, or fishing, um, and like, feel I don't know it's it, it's impact on you and then you see that for someone else and you and you take someone else and pass it along to them and see it just like light up within them it, it like starts this endless <laughs> fire mm -hmm. I think of just wanting to make a change and do all the things and help yeah. the world and keep this around and it can almost yep. be a little overwhelming um on where to start because for me, there's a lot of stuff I care about. So yeah. it's hard for me to, to pick one because there's only so much time, you know? Yep. Um, yep. So I love that you guys have an organization that is educating and, and giving resources to all kinds of kinds, you know, mm -hmm. that, that want to support different, different organizations. It's a beautiful thing. One thing we've, um, or I guess one thing I've learned, like, you know, these, um, policymakers and politicians, they're surrounded by reports and facts and scientific data. 
Um, and they're surrounded by, you know, lobbyists' opinions and, you know, it's information overload for sure. So it really is like it absolutely 100% is the case that what that what speaks most powerfully from our perspective is those personal stories uh, talking about how you've seen your landscape change um, over the course of the years due to a number of different factors, you know, talking about why um, public lands access is important to you and to your lifestyle. And those personal stories are what really resonate. Um, and I think when, when people are wading through the facts to determine the best course, course forward, it's, it's those personal stories um, that can, can, can weigh heavily. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I personally want to put more of a focus on, on those things. And, um, I know that Artemis is primarily based right now in, uh, the Western part of the United States, correct? So yes, and <laughs> uh, we just hired a Southeast Regional Coordinator who's based out of Tennessee, awesome. uh, and we'll be doing um, some organizing work in in our southeastern region, which is super exciting. Um, and and then, but yes, uh, I'm based out of the West, and we're part of the public lands team at the National Wildlife Federation, um, which which does a lot of work in the West as well. Awesome. So for, would you have a suggestion for folks that um, maybe like me in the Midwest um, or Southern parts of the United States mm. that uh, don't necessarily have an organization like this that they know of to go to um, or yeah. to have a community around them? Do you have any suggestions? I do. So we um, have ambassadors, volunteers across the country who are charged with uh, helping build a community and connect sportsmen to each other in their area. And that includes uh, the Great Lakes. And so if you, we have a Great, Lo a Great Lakes Facebook page um, awesome. that uh, that's led by a couple of volunteers in Indiana and Michigan. Um, and as we spread across the country, those Facebook groups, those regional Facebook groups are popping up. So we have one in Georgia, uh, we have one in Oklahoma, um, we, we have them all over the place. So if you Google um, your state, uh, if there's a Facebook page in that area, it'll come up. If there isn't, um, our ambassador program was launched in 2020. So February was the first year that we accepted ambassadors across the country. So it's still a fairly new program. And we're opening up for round two. So we'll have a 2021 cohort of ambassadors um, at the beginning of, of the year. So in January through February, those applications will be open. Um, and so we're, we're going to keep growing. Uh, and so keep an eye on us. And you can do that through our um, national outlets, mostly on Artemis uh, Sportswomen on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. <clears throat> That's incredible. Uh, and I think just how I, I'm sure this is a fluid answer, but how large is the organization currently so we have um it's a fluid answer and it's a hard <laughs> to uh check answer because we sure. don't have a membership program yeah. most of our interaction is through social media and we have a number of different outlets that people can engage that way um but our reach is 
is um, 20,000 women across the country. Uh, with We have um, 50 volunteers, um, 40 of them are ambassadors, and then we have a group of women who uh, serve on our leadership team, um, which acts as an, as, as an advisory council. Uh, and then there's me and then there's our Southeast regional coordinator. Um, so yeah, we're, we're continuing to grow, but, um, outside of the West, our, our reach is, is growing daily. Awesome. That's, that, that's incredible. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to share, um, like I'll share a link to a lot of what we've talked, like a lot of the places that we've talked about, a lot of organizations we've talked about, um, in the podcast notes as well. Uh, and I, I'm just excited for people to, to see that and what, what's out there and what's possible. Um, to, to, even if they don't necessarily join Artemis, which I definitely think people should check that out and see how to become a part of it and support it, um, just to encourage them to create kind of maybe even mini communities within their own, mm-hmm. own little world. Uh, We've started yeah. the Field to Fork program in Iowa. Uh, this is my second year being a part of it. Nice. And I, it's, it's just been a really, really cool thing. I, I definitely see what you're talking about, though. Um, I, I, I try to stress a lot um, that, we, that we need mentors in different areas of, like, the outdoors uh, to be someone for someone to lean on because there's so much information out there. And mm-hmm. even when you have, a you know, maybe a community, an on, like, online community can be – sometimes hard if you don't know the people personally I I suppose but just someone that you can talk to and bounce ideas off of because just like anything there's so much information out there there's so much um smoke and mirrors there's there's stuff that makes you think that's what the outdoor industry is about but it's really not about that uh and it's easy to get lost in all of that um that you have to be this certain kind of way to be an outdoorsman and I Mm -hmm. just don't agree with that and Mm-hmm. I I like the way that you guys um, like portray it and talk about it. Yeah, uh, it's well, not you, you, so commercialized, I suppose. Yeah, you hit on a bit of a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> so Perfect. It's like, um, and part of it, I think, is 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 me coming to hunting as an adult myself. It's like, yeah, you know, there's there's a it it aspirational marketing, right? Like there's an image of what it is or what it should be that's sold to us. And if you buy, and that's about everything. That's not just about hunting and fishing. Um, it's about what it means to be an advocate, about what it means to be involved in conservation. Like there's, there are things and images sold to us. Um, and I think that can be um, misleading in thinking that that's the way it needs to be, or that's what success looks like. And that's can I swear on your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's bullshit. That's 100% <laughs> bullshit. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and so I am constantly doing it for myself. And I encourage other people to do it as well, to just define that for yourself. Um, not every not every hunt trip needs to be, you know, a 12-mile adventure. <laughs> not, not every... Um, fly, not everything needs to be epic. Um, <laughs> sometimes it can be quiet. Yeah. Uh, and I prefer it that way. But yeah, yeah define it for yourself um, because we're all being sold something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> totally. I actually, I, I actually say do epic shit a lot, but I always <laughs> clarify um, what that means does not mean like, putting on a squirrel shoot and diving off a mountain, you know, um, like it doesn't mean that, uh, it, 
it, it means like do something that gets you excited and makes your heart feel good and that yep. maybe is slightly out of your comfort zone like that's what I mean when I say it because to me Perfect. that is epic because once you start there you kind of figure out like what gets what gets your heart going you know what's important to you and it looks different for everybody um but there is so there is so much cool stuff out there on social media that does of course like make me feel like I'm not living up to something and all all the time um and you know when I take a deep breath I realize it's just I really want to be a really great outdoorsman whatever that means to me um Mm -hmm. because whatever I my definition of that is probably not the same for somebody else. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to be uh, capable in, mm-hmm. in the things that I love to do in the outdoors. And I want to encourage other people to be that, but that doesn't have to be anything, if that makes sense. So I'm going in a circle with that. But mm-hmm. um, no, I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I've had folks in the past, actually, even the simplest thing, which of course people get in and then get out and then don't continue with it because there's multiple examples from these field to fork uh, events that I've been to. I, I've had someone in the past ask me about like certain verbiage they should use like online, like saying things mm-hmm. a certain way um, because they're afraid of being mocked or made fun of by yep. other, like using the word bow instead of archery, like example yep. and stuff. Yep. And I'm like, gosh, like if you, if there's so much pressure out there to just say everything so perfectly and so correct, like how is anyone ever supposed to continue on with this stuff if they're just the simplest thing like feels like it bogs them down? And there's so much, I mean, we're already, we already need to be so sensitive about that when we're talking to the non-hunting and fishing community Yes. too. Like yes. let's, let's just like, let's not bring that internal. Yeah. <laughs> let's, yes. Yes. It's a rod and a pole. Let's yeah. just agree. <laughs> there can't be both things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, yeah. That's another good example too. <laughs> um, yeah. I, yep. I still, I think I called it a fishing pole forever. And then I think a few years ago, all of a sudden I started saying it. And I think it's because everybody I was around was like so extreme into fishing and all mm-hmm. they did was call it a fishing rod. So all of a sudden I noticed that my verbiage changed too. Yeah. And I mean, I don't care, but I, I noticed that like a year in, I'm like, what, who am I? <laughs> what don't let go of those this? midwestern roots it's I, a pole <laughs> it will always be a pole <laughs> exactly i don't and i don't know why it matters <laughs> right but for some reason it does to people i don't know uh, yeah there's so many little things like that and i think social media for anything it doesn't even have to be the outdoors like you said but social media is so powerful but also very toxic in that way because you know, we're all seeing what the other people want us to see. We're not seeing mm-hmm. pieces of people's lives that they don't want us to see necessarily. Um, and it's easy to look at something and think that they've always had it. They've always been so knowledgeable and they've always had um, whatever it is that we feel like we don't. You know, we immediately yep. project our insecurities onto someone's something great. Yep. And it's it's toxic. Uh and unfortunate. I think in a lot of ways, though, social media has helped the outdoors. Um, you know, pages like yours talking about all sorts of different issues. Like I've, I've seen, um, y- you guys have a lot of variety in what you talk about, especially with your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Go ahead. You know, I, um, 
there's a phrase that I read in a, in a book a while back that has stuck with me and it's something that I agree with it and I disagree with it in different terms, but it stuck with me and I think about it quite a bit. And the, it, the, the protagonist of the story said that a, a man walks into a room and he's assumed to be an expert until he proves otherwise. And a woman walks into the room and she's assumed to be a novice until she proves otherwise. Um, and so I think particularly when you're talking in, uh, and I don't know obviously what it's like from a man's perspective, but I know from my perspective, when I'm the only woman in a group of men hunters, admitting that I don't know something is like pulling teeth. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think, you, you know, you, you bring that not wanting to seem stupid, right? Not wanting to make your learning curve visible because there's vulnerability in that. And there's judgment or there can be judgment in that. Um, and I think all of that is just um, amplified online in the in the wrong groups like I think you can get into the right group where that type of of um, visible learning is is appreciated and valued yeah. uh, but you have to find that space it, and it's not easy yeah I would definitely say it's not easy I, I think I definitely agree with what you're saying um, it's been hard with for me I've been hunting and fishing my entire life but like different I'm at different levels with different things now. Like there's some things I do a lot of now and there's new, like the boyfriend I have now uh, has grown up hunting and fishing his whole life as well. But the types of things we hunted, types of animals we hunted and the types of fishing we did were different. Um, mm -hmm. And so we do a lot of those things together now. And there has been a lot that he has taught me and exposed me to and um, really grateful for that. I've actually always been the, pro like, in every relationship I've been in, I've pretty much been the only person who's like really into hunting and fishing. Um, mm -hmm. So, which looking back is so strange to me. Um, and the, the, actually the irritation I have, the thing I run into the very most, which is such a hurt to my pride every single time, and so hard for me not to open my mouth, uh, is I am assumed to not, like if I go somewhere with my boyfriend, if I go mm -hmm. somewhere that is like an outdoor store, an outdoor or show, um, a hunting group, uh, different hunts that I go on, almost most of the time they're like, I'm either acted as if like I'm not there, um, mm -hmm. like maybe I'm just like tagging along, I'm not actually hunting or I'm not actually a hunter, or um, the eye contact is fully made with my significant other and not with myself. Um, mm -hmm. There's been a lot of assumptions made that I was taught everything by either my by my significant other um and I don't really I don't know if it's just people don't know how to to talk like to have that conversation um but it is always assumed that I didn't do any of it myself or I'm not capable mm -hmm. and that is really hard for me mm -hmm. but it only makes me want to be more capable um mm -hmm. but even the you know the more educated I get it I still I still have to like reprove myself every time, every mm -hmm. time. And yep. I, I just want that to change, but I, it's a, I think ta in time it will change because we yeah. like women are the largest growing demographic, but um, it's hard to feel like you can have your voice without being looked at like you're crazy, right? <laughs> For opening your yep. mouth. And it, yeah, and it gets, it's just exhausting. Um, depending on 
I mean, especially you and I, I think kind of working in this industry, we're putting ourselves in that situation over and over and over again. Yes, yes. Um, and in some days I feel great about being at the center and being a part of that change. And other times I'm just so tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yep. for sure. For sure. And um, I, I think something that's been really cool and something I've, thought about too and, and men and women who are just we are wired different um is my last fields of work class well actually both of them there was men and women in there uh both and i think it's so freaking awesome to like on the flip side be teaching some men who've never done this before and have them be just really open to it and mm-hmm. like just along for the ride uh just like just like the women, because in the past when I've tried to, um, help coach and teach men, uh, they, they kind of are like, I got it. I got it. They don't maybe want to show their like vulnerability. Um, and I have seen actually a big shift in that, at least the events I've been a part of, uh, in, in the workshops I've been a part of, which is super cool. Uh, like men and women mixed together, just all learning. And I, I, and they're just super open and positive. And that's such a great, I wish it was always like that. Like, for men and women both, because, you know, it can be said for, um, there's women hunts, you know, there's a lot of women hunts that I've been on and there can be some reluctancy among women sometimes to, um, let their guard down with each other and be open. And so it it goes both ways, but I've seen it where it's everyone working together and just learning together and supporting each other. And it's like a crazy beautiful thing. We, uh, so we, I get the question quite a bit about whether or not men are welcome in the Artemis community. Um, and, and my answer, I I think at at one time, my answer is yes, absolutely. Because we are community, right? Like our goal is not to, um, keep women separated from the national hunting community. Our goal is to amplify their voices and bring us all together. And so absolutely we want, we, we call them Artemis. They're a fantastic part yeah. <laughs> of our community and what we're doing moving forward. But at one point, I think I said, um, yes, absolutely. You know, there are certain events where we keep them women only, like hunt camps, and and we will always say that if that's the case. But but mostly, by and large, we, you are always welcome. Just expect that you will be led by women. Yeah. <laughs> and and one of the one of the men I was talking to laughed and said, "I've been led by women my whole life," um, <laughs> which was funny. But yeah, it's it is it's just flipping the script, right? Like it, we we we're not always for women by women only. It's yeah. just that you know women are leaders in this community. They have a perspective and they have knowledge and they have understanding that can be beneficial to others. And they are too often overlooked for those leadership roles. Uh, and so we're just not allowing that to happen in our space. And yeah, the reception's great. I think um, different people need different things, whether, you know, regardless of gender. Yeah. Um, yes. and, and you have to you have to find that right group and that right community and those right people for you. Uh, and we just want more variety out there is all. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I love that. Yeah. And I, I, by no, and I'm, I'm just going off of my own personal experiences. You know, the reason, um, I don't, I definitely don't mean to generalize so much because I love men and women both. <laughs> I have amazing <laughs> friends and supporters that are men and women, both in the outdoors who have taught me or I've taught, um, and it, it goes both ways. And so I, yeah, it's, I, I appreciate that, it, that it's open to whomever and it's, 
it's all encompassing, but um, I definitely think that right now it's great to kind of have a special place for women to to lean on each other and learn from each other. Yep. To find each other and for the first time in a lot of ways. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That was one of my early experiences with Artemis. We hosted a turkey hunt in Idaho, which was fantastic. And it wasn't a learn to hunt camp at all. Most of the women who'd come there had hunted um, for years. Not all of them had hunted turkey before, but they were experienced in the field and to a person, and there were 12 of us, uh, it was the first time uh, they'd ever been to a, a, they've ever hunted with other women. And I find that mind boggling. Like these are women, some of them who've been hunting for, you know, 10, 20 years and they'd never hunted with another woman. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And just, it just, it is, it, um, it shouldn't be that rare. So <laughs> that's what we're trying to do is just make it less rare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, this last like two years, I've gone on multiple women hunts and hunted with women. But up until a couple years ago, I, I don't think I ever had hunted mm-hmm. with another woman. Um, it's I uh, my family. It's mostly men. I, I have only brothers, but um, none of the other women hunt in my family. So I just always felt extra special that that was part of what I did with the guys you know and being mm-hmm. in Iowa that's known for being a hunting state definitely um mm-hmm. I knew very I don't think I really knew any women that hunted until I was I had one I had two friends two friends that were women that liked to hunt um besides just shooting guns just actually like to go hunting or fishing I only had two friends that did that it was pretty rare that they went and I was in my well into my 20s before I really knew anyone else in Iowa um that hunted on a regular basis um they were rare and it just it it like took me by surprise as I got older because I thought hunting was just a way of life out there and I think it is a way of life out here but um I really didn't I really was not surrounded by a lot of men or women that were hunters and then Mm. it took me a really long time to find women that um were into hunting and then after really opening up I found a lot of women that had dabbled or wanted to and then I just started getting like floods of messages or comments about hey will you teach me will you show Mm -hmm. me will you take me with you and Mm -hmm. I was like yeah and then I would have a lot of uh ladies back out you know kind of be like oh no like it'll be too much like it'll be too much like don't bother I'm like no no it won't be like I I want to I want to take you, (laughs) you know, like I I want, I want a girlfriend to do this with. Um, and so I actually had to kind of open it up as like a class. Like I started teaching archery, um, which is part of me finding Artemis probably, um, you know, like the goddess of, she has like her bow and everything. Uh, but that opened it up. That's what happened. I, I offered, um, one workshop of teaching archery in hopes to teach them how to bow hunt. And then all of a sudden that community just kind of happened around me. Yep. Um, it took some time. It's, but. Yeah. And it's so perfect. I mean, because I, I feel like that mirrors kind of my own experience too. It's like you don't necessarily come around, you don't, you don't come together around hunting all the time, right? Yeah. Like you come together around something else. And I took a, I convinced a, uh, one of my best friends to go on a fence removal work party and she's not a hunter. Um, but I convinced her to go to this overnight camping trip fence removal work party and we're around the fire with a bunch of 
uh, amazing people, most of whom are women, most of whom are hunters, most of whom are avid hunters. And so the majority of the conversations around hunting. And as we were leaving, my friend was like, you know, that's, she's like, <laughs> she started um, making comments that indicated she might want to learn to hunt. And so I was like, see, you just need <laughs> one night around a campfire with other women talking about it. It, it. It's, there's a lot of perceived barriers in between not hunting and being a hunter. And, and I do think, I mean, some of them are real bar- barriers, but some of them are perceived. Some of them are, I don't know where to start. Some of it is just that, that climb looks way too steep. Yep. So if you just take away one, um, like teaching somebody how to hold a bow um, or how to shoot archery, then suddenly the rest of the barriers um, fall away much more easily. Yes. I love that. Yes. I, yeah. It, it takes one, it takes a one step and then another step. And then it's just like, I'm still, I still feel like I have barriers, you know, I still feel like mm-hmm. there's things I want to do, but I, I need a certain, um, I feel I get it in my head or maybe I do need like a certain type of equipment or, um, yep. teach myself a certain skill to be able to go do something or, um, you know, sometimes the physical fitness part is something for me. Like I, I want to start doing a little bit more extreme hunts than I do. So I'm like, Ooh, I don't have the lung capacity for that. Like I need, <laughs> I need to start yeah. working out. Uh, it never stops. Like there's always, there's always the more passionate and the deeper you get into it, there's always going to be another kind of bump in the road or mountain to climb. Um, yep. and just getting them over that first one can be everything. Yep. It's funny, and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say this uh, cautiously because it's not something you should ever do in any real situation, but I remember <laughs> talking to um, a friend about starting a business, and the advice that they were given was so often, right, it's it's ready, aim, shoot, and um, or ready, aim, fire, and, and fire is the last step, but you yeah. can get so caught up in the aiming part that you just end up walking in circles and losing your direction. And again, this is not about shooting. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is about everything but shooting. Um, but I feel like that's true when it comes to hunting and fishing or any activity where you feel like um, having kids, whatever, anything where it just feels real big. The yeah. advice was ready, fire, aim. Like sometimes um, you don't want to get lost in the aiming. So fire first and then aim. So it's you know, don't do anything stupid, but don't let the aiming part take up all of your focus. Yeah. So you keep not firing. Yes. Yes. I, that, that's just good <laughs> life advice too. It is. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. I mean, that's how I feel about this podcast. I've been doing it a year now. Yeah, like there's, there's exactly. so much like I wish I could change or I could go back to, but at the same time, if I had obsessed any longer about it, I wouldn't have done it. Yep. Yep. Same here. When, when we started podcasting, I mean, I think the learning curve is as steep as you want to make it. And our sound wasn't exactly where I wanted it to be when we first launched. And my boss was like, well, do you want to wait? And I was like, no, no, if I wait, if I wait until everything is perfect, I'm never going to do this. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's, yeah. Yeah. So we fired, um, and then we aimed. Yeah. I love that. Yep. I love that so much. Do you have a personal, like, favorite hunting or fishing, like, experience? Like, do you have a favorite? Um, 
uh, do you mean like a like a story, or do you mean like my preferred um, type of pursuit? <laughs> um, story first, and then okay. type of pursuit after. <laughs> um, gosh. Um, oh, well, why not? Okay. So stories are always hard, right? Because they're all fun stories, but I'll tell the story of my hunt this year. Cause I actually haven't, uh, told that story, um, very deeply yet. So I, um, every year I go on a all girls hunting trip to Eastern Montana for antelope. And sometimes we, overlap um, antelope season with deer season so we can pursue both species when we're out there. Um, this year we didn't. This year we went out just for antelope, uh, which opens a couple weeks, a few weeks ahead of deer season. And it was amazing. Um, had a really great time, had a lot of really great opportunity. Uh, I didn't harvest anything, but my group did. Um, and I decided to go back again um, to eastern montana to hunt after deer season had started but this time i went with my father and that was the first real hunting trip out um for deer that he and i had been on together we've hunted bear together we've sat separately for whitetail a couple times but this was like the first um stalking through the sagebrush trip that we've been on so last year um I didn't harvest an animal. I put a lot of miles in the woods and I got really frustrated and we did a whole podcast about it, uh, <laughs> but I didn't harvest. And so, um, you know, I think that that shakes your confidence a little bit and puts a different angle on the next season that you go into. So going into this season, um, was, was different for me than other seasons in the past have been. And I also discovered that for a variety of reasons that get into my personality faults, I, and <laughs> not just the faults, it gets into the good stuff too. I have a hard time prioritizing my own hunt when I'm in the field with another person. Uh, and in some ways I love that because I love supporting other people's hunts, especially if they're learning. Um, I love celebrating with other people. Like there's a lot of really good things about that. Um, but it does mean that uh, when I'm hunting with other people, I tend not to feel tags. So going back the second time with my dad, um, we it was our second day and it was this gorgeous, sunny, like high 50s day. And we're walking through one of my favorite landscapes, which is this block management area, which is um, a thing in Montana where private lands have an agreement with the Bureau of Land Management to open it up and make it public access for hunting season. And so I was on this beautiful landscape with rolling sagebrush hills and coolies and it's just one of my favorite spaces. And I was hunting, technically hunting antelope and my dad was technically hunting mule deer. Um, and we were out all day and my, my father is he's 73 years old and he's in incredible health and he's also just a very stubborn trooper <laughs> who is is hiking um when i just say just a little bit further just a little bit further and we end up hitting the back fence of this property and turning and you can see that there's just um mule deer tracks everywhere we were following probably a group of eight mule deer 
um, and you could tell we were a little bit behind them. Um, but we were, you know, it was later in the afternoon and um, getting tired. And I think with any, when you're tired, you lose your focus a little bit. Oh, sure. You know, you, you lose kind of just that, the sneakiness uh, and the intention <laughs> to detail a yes. little bit. And so we'd let, we'd let the sneakiness lapse um, and come, we came over this little rise where you couldn't see what was past it. It was a little depression in the landscape right after and it wasn't big it was probably um maybe 400 yards across so not small either but not huge anyway we we come around um not sneaky at all and spooked this big group of mule deer and um of course cursed ourselves because damn it that's what we were out here for and look what we just did um uh and then had a couple of, of you know, because they're mule deer, so they don't, they're, they're different than whitetail in that they don't just take off. Like whitetail, if you spook them, they're gone. But mule deer will stop and turn around. So, like, they'll spook, they'll run, um, you know, a few yards, and then they'll stop and turn around. And uh, that's what this one did. She, she stopped and she turned around. And um, the sagebrush where we were was probably... Uh, knee high and so if you're sitting down it hides you pretty good and so she couldn't see us so she stood you know it's just one of the situations where um, the animal stands broadside for a crazy long amount of time um, she stood broadside and you know I'm thinking I haven't shot an animal in over a year um, and she's 200 yards away which is well within my range but there is just that uh, you know I'm still a new hunter I have confidence in my shooting um, but things happen, things go wrong. You know, there was just, I was, I was nervous <laughs> in a way that I hadn't been nervous uh, in a couple seasons. And I think it's because it had just been so long since I'd pulled the trigger on an animal. Um, and uh, I took a deep breath and pulled the trigger. And it was one of those wonderful situations where um, you, because my line of sight was so clear um, I could see her turn and take, like, run a few steps and then kick um, and fall. And I think for me, when I see that, I I know it was a clean lung shot. Like, that's a that's a lung shot. That's a good shot. And she's going to expire quickly. There's something about that kick um, that I've seen before and, and just have come to recognize. Uh, and then walking up to her. And I think I'm, it's still so hard for me to gauge the size of animals. And, you know, I've shot deer that I thought were bigger. <laughs> I've, <laughs> yeah. I've shot deer that I thought were smaller. Um, and she was a beautiful, uh, good sized mule deer doe. Um, and then just, you know, uh, processing it. it was the first time I'd actually harvested an animal in the field with my dad. And so processing it with her, we did, we quartered it. Um, and then he, again, very um, stubbornly um, helped me pack her out three miles. Um, and yeah. And, and so, you know, it wasn't, um, I think as far as the experiences I've had with hunting, it was a quote unquote fairly ordinary one. Um, but I, again, I, as we talked about before, like that doesn't make it any less special. Um, and, and it was my first mule deer. 
that I've ever harvested. And uh, having her be the harvest that kind of broke my losing streak. Um, yeah. I, I, I've processed, I've been mentally and, and emotionally kind of processing it uh, differently as my sixth year now in the woods. Um, yeah, so I have, a, I have a freezer full of delicious meal deer meat. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I think that's incredibly special to do that with your dad. And just all of it, like I'm, I'm, I'm just listening to every word and like trying to visualize like what everything looks like around you while you're doing that. And I don't know that I've ever had a hunt that wasn't special, you know, even when I didn't come back with an animal. Um, I don't, uh, I, I ask people that question and I think sometimes there's very specific stories, but I feel like most of the time the answer is like the most recent hunt and they're like looking forward Mm -hmm. to their next one the most, you know, like it's each one as you go, because every one of them is so special. I think most of the time that is the answer and Mm -hmm. it has way more to do with, um, what, you know, what you've, the build up to it and who Mm -hmm. you're with and, um, and what other animals you saw yeah. when you were out oh, there. Yeah, for and... sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, whether absolutely. the weather was beautiful or it was rough, oh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like and this... it was beautiful. <laughs> it was like the kind of day I could spend outside, you know? It, yeah. And then it was interesting because the next day right after that um, was the exact opposite. It was like 50 mile per hour winds, snow blowing in your face, cold. And, and then this was just a bluebird sky, um, you know, take your... Uh, take your jacket off when you're when you're field dressing kind of day yeah 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 and uh I uh I am gonna paraphrase this real bad but uh Hmm? I think it was Steve I think it was Steve Ranella that I heard say this um like maybe his one of his like meat eater but was talking about there's two types of fun like there's the fun that's like the immediate gratification like oh that was a thrill and it's done and over with and there's no more talking about it and then there's the types of fun that um like parts of it might even be kind of miserable during and you're kind of thinking what the hell am I doing like either the anticipation or you don't get an animal or the weather's bad or the the walking's terrible or you're nervous about like making a bad shot and like the stress that you're putting on yourself and then whatever it is like and then you look back at it and you're like wow that was a lot of fun and you're telling people the story years later um it's like those are the two types and I think hunting is that Oh, for sure. Type two fun is, yeah, is, is what we actually call it. And it's a hundred percent. That's when you're, um, you know, and when you're miserable because hunting can be very miserable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Some and, parts and of yet, it are like, I think yeah. every time something's miserable yep. about it. Every time. Something's miserable about it every time. Um, either it's the cold or the weather or the snow or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, uh, you keep going back out there because you just can't get enough. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's a sickness. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, uh, what is your What is your favorite uh, animal to like go after? Yeah, um, I do think. I mean, I have. Uh, I mean, I don't think I have. There's There's no animal that I don't enjoy pursuing. So let me say that to start with. <laughs> um, but I do love hunting antelope and mule deer in the sagebrush there's just something about that landscape that i find particularly uh um uh i don't even know what the word is i love spending time in there and i think part of it is because i tend to go out there 
um, for antelope season, which is um, October. So it's warmer. <laughs> like that's not a small, that's not a small factor. Um, but it's also, uh, um, you know, here in Western Montana, the mountains are steep and they're big. And, and so a lot of times when I'm hunting here, it's, it's that type two fun. It's, you know, I'm going to hike straight up, um, over shale and try not to fall and kill myself kind of situation, which again, I enjoy, um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's intimidating and it's exhausting and it's just, uh, it, it can be, um, you know, you have to psych yourself up for it. But being in the sagebrush, uh, the hills are, it's just so, it feels like a more, um, it's a landscape that's more welcoming. Yeah. You know, you still have yeah. to, it's still, it's still up and down and around and through and it's hard and, 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 you, and it takes exertion and fortitude, but um, it's not covered in downfall. I think the one time I've been afraid for my life when I've been in the woods was when I was on this northern slope that was just covered in downfall and I'm like I'm gonna fall and impale myself and nobody's ever gonna hear from me again (laughs) yeah I mean definitely people could go missing in Montana (laughs) I uh, I, people do yeah regularly (laughs) I would think so I do you I'm gonna ask a silly midwest midwesterner question um do like do the predators like the like the bears the wolves mountain lions do they do they scare you is there like a level of intimidation or awareness that you feel like you have to have um yes and no um you know i think mostly the answer is no when we're talking about um wolves or mountain lions or black bears um they really are more afraid of you than you are of them they're not going to get close unless they feel threatened or the, or their child feels threatened. Mm-hmm. And so those situations, if you're aware of what's going on around you, of the sign around you, um, then I really enjoy sharing the landscape with them. I think it's cool anytime I have the opportunity and the luck really to encounter another predator in the woods because they are so smart and so skilled and so elusive um, that I think any glimpse of them in the field is a gift. Um, Oh, I like that. But Montana is also grizzly bear country. Um, And I think as a hunter, grizzly bears are much more, um, uh, I mean, they own the forest, right? Like there's nothing that can take them down. Yeah. Um, and so their, their, their main goal is food. And if you are in between them and their food, um, they're going to win. And so, <laughs> so, so when you're in grizzly, so I don't hunt alone very often when I'm in grizzly bear country. I think when I'm like, I'm prepared if I encounter them, as long as I'm not processing an animal, but if I'm processing an animal and a grizzly bear decides that they want it, I don't want to be in that situation alone. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, so I'm very, uh, so that, that's something I do put a lot of thought in and that's something that impacts the decisions I make about where and when to hunt. Um, but, uh, but other than grizzly bears, 
I enjoy sharing the forest. And I, I mean, that, that, I, let me rephrase that. I enjoy sharing the forest with grizzly bears as well. They're incredible animals, um, but they require uh, caution and intelligence and, um, and, and you just, yeah, you need to think extra about hunting in their spaces. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I mean, I, that's definitely what I hear. I actually, weirdly, I don't know if this is like a, like a prophecy, a self-fulfilling prophecy I've created, but I got a kind of, I don't know why I've always wanted to, but I have a grizzly bear tattooed on my shoulder. Hmm. And um, I got it as kind of, I'm so sorry if I'm such a weirdo, but <laughs> I got it kind of symbolic as like, because that would absolutely terrify me. Uh, especially being from the Midwest and not really exposed to them. But there's like this level I want to be like, I, it's really important for me to stop like living in fear, if that makes sense. And yeah, but to be yeah. very smart and very um, yeah. capable to take care of myself, whether that's hunting or not, you know, related. Um, yep. And so they just seem like the ultimate symbol to me of like bravery, courage, intelligence, um, kind of, taking care of yourself like kind of the most like intimidating animal probably in the united states uh they just are like that symbol for me so for whatever mm-hmm. reason i got for that reason i got um that tattoo as like a sign of just like courage and not living in fear um but i always like the more extreme hunting i do the more i'm like i think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy i think i'm going to <laughs> grizzly bear <laughs> well you know Clan of the cave bears was a fantastic book and it worked out just fine okay for them. um but yeah no i agree i think that's i mean i think i think as humans we're so um uh used to believing like i don't think i don't think it's true but we're used to believing that we have dominion over these natural spaces mm-hmm. um and the animals in them and uh and so they're I think I think people interpret that in different ways, but a lot of it is um, uh, fear of the unknown, and I don't think there's. I mean, there's like you're absolutely right. You need to know about the animal that you're sharing space with. You need to know how to react when you encounter them. You need to know how to avoid encounter, encountering them when possible. But but there's. I mean, we've shared these spaces for thousands of years Um, we just need to do so smartly and and know that in certain situations we are not in control yeah Um, we have to we have to enter the woods knowing that we don't own that space we share it yeah yeah absolutely no I love that and I think I have two more questions for you okay so first question is why is all of this so important to you personally? Yeah. Um, so I think two things. One uh, is my background is as an educator. Um, I was a, a I have a master's in education, and I was a teacher for fifteen years before becoming Artemis's program manager. Uh, and when I, I think I alluded to it, I didn't get into it too deeply, but when I started hunting, it changed me profoundly in ways that 
I wasn't expecting. And I think the easiest way to describe it is that, you know, I've been a naturalist my whole life. I've been a hiker my whole life. Um, I, I, being outdoors has always been important to me. So I thought that I understood what it meant to connect with the natural world. And hunting told me that I had no idea. Um, and it continues to tell me every year that I have no idea. Uh, and, um, and it changed me in, in ways that I wanted to pass on uh, and in, in opportunities that I wanted to provide for others. So that was a huge part of, of, of why I chose to do what I do uh, is because I think by limiting the stories we tell, we limit what people think is possible for themselves and in doing that, we really cheat them of a life experience and a way of connecting with the world um, that I think we would all be better for if, if, if we all had it. I often thought, even before becoming a hunter, like, I, what can you imagine what a different place the world would be if everybody could see the full night sky all of the time? Um, and just how... Uh, how profound it is to see the Milky Way and uh, and and the way it changes the way we think about the world and and I think hunting's the same way if if everybody had the opportunity to uh, to see the world at least once in that way I think it 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 can't help but change them so that so that's part of it uh, but the other part is um, you know, I think so. There's there's an idea in the concept, or a, a, I don't know if it's an idea um, or a theory or or what, but <laughs> we'll stick with idea. There's an idea in the conservation world called uh, shifting baselines, and I think we can all um, understand it a little bit when we talk about the stories from the past where we hear about, you know, you couldn't look across the landscape without seeing a bison or the sky was dark with, um, with pigeons or, or with, with birds, you know, there's stories from the past that we hear about the abundance of wildlife and what that used to be like, but we've never witnessed that. What we experience on the landscape is, is what we seem to be normal. And when we see abundance in an area, it's the idea of shifting baselines is what I walk onto this landscape, having never been here, I walk onto this landscape and I'm awed and inspired by the abundance of wildlife I see there. And I turn to my left and here's this 80 year old woman who looks at me and says, you have no idea what abundance actually is, right? You know, when she was yeah. my age standing in that same landscape, abundance meant something entirely different. And so I think I'm at a point in my life where I'm starting to see our changing definition of abundance happen. And, uh, and I can recognize it in the places that are special to me. Uh, and I see um, people who are younger than I am stepping onto this landscape and seeing isn't this amazing? Isn't it spectacular? And yes, absolutely. It is amazing. And it is spectacular. And it's fragile. And it's under a lot of pressure from a number of different sources. And I had worked in education. I was a um, early childhood educator in a nature-based school. And so my 
my primary objective in addition to um you know reading writing and arithmetic was connecting kids to the natural world with the idea of this uh, place-based education was the was the pedagogy i used and one of the founding premises of place-based education is um, you can't teach somebody to love or you can't ask somebody to save something until you, they love it yeah. i butchered that quote but the meaning stays the same like you have yeah. to love something before you fight for it and so i was helping to connect kids to the natural world um, with the idea that once you're connected to it, you can't help but love it. And that's the long game, right? I was playing the long game and I believe in the long game. The long game is important. We're going to need stewards and conservationists and advocates 50 years from now who, who are out there doing the good work. Um, I got tired of the long game and I wanted something a little bit more immediate. Um, and so I, I actually, you know, essentially volunteered to be on the front lines of conservation, um, to, feel like uh, what I was doing was um, more impactful now, today. Yeah. I, uh, I told you I had two questions for you, but now I have uh, another one. Um, <laughs> uh, is there, is there a, um, an effort that is specifically near and dear to your heart or that, that weighs on you, like something that's especially worrisome to you at all? I don't know that I can narrow it down to one. Sure. Yeah. Um, and they all play again, into they, each other, I'm sure. They all play into each other. And um, I think there's a common phrase that I, it, it, there's just so much pressure on, on our natural spaces um, from a variety of different sources, consistent pressure um, that needs to be tended to. But I think if I were to pick one, it's it's totally not sexy, <laughs> but <laughs> okay. but it's vital, um, and that's conservation funding, um, because when you look at the conservation work that's happening, and I think particularly when you look at the success that the conservation that the sporting community has had on conservation of wildlife, you think of of elk or pheasants or ducks. Uh, or mule deer, like when you look at the successes that the the world has had or the country has had on reversing the trend of declining wildlife, it's around the species and the habitat that we invest in, that we fund. Um, because you can't, and you can't do effective conservation work without funding. And our funding structure, the way it is right now, is so entirely dependent on hunting and fishing licenses. And, and and that's that's incredible and that's important. And it's something that the hunting and fishing community should be proud of contributing to. It's not enough. And moving forward with all of the challenges uh, facing our, our wild places and our wildlife, we really, really need to consider um, funding them at a more con at higher level. Yeah. Um, and so I think Conservation funding, um, which we've had success this year with with various acts, with as particularly with the Great American Outdoors Act and the permanent funding of the Land and Water Conservation Fund, those are huge successes that that will significantly um, enhance conservation funding, um, and it's a great place to start. And I still think there's a lot of work that can be done. So again, it's not sexy, but doesn't all government work come down to funding? Yeah, yeah, 
no <clears throat> i i appreciate that like uh, it doesn't have to be it does, does not have to be sexy just like honest yeah. and, it's more fun when it is yeah but... <laughs> totally yeah definitely but i mean it's the truth do, yep. do you think um i know sometimes for myself to gain trust in you know sometimes i teeter with certain organizations because maybe I can't wrap my head around, okay, I, I, hey, like, hey, I'm going to give them my money because I believe in what they're, in what they're telling me, but I yeah. don't always know where that money goes. Um, do you have any yeah. suggestions on how um, folks can find out where that's going so they can have more trust in what they're um, supporting? Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, if you ask them, they will tell you. Yeah. Um, and if they don't tell you straightforwardly, then you should probably be concerned. <laughs> a good organization is going to, you know, they're going to, um, they're going to have that information and they're going to, uh, approach those decisions with integrity. So if they're not comfortable sharing that information with you, then, um, yeah, I do think that's a huge red flag. Um, but I also think when, I think, um, when you are considering an organization, it's, also important to understand because I think in the fundraising world and I know I'm um, uh, I struggle with this personally as well it's so much more fun to donate to a specific project or a specific cause um, like I want to donate to that nature-based program that's going to teach kids about worms right <laughs> yeah. I, I do really yeah. like worms um, and it's nice to know that that your money is going to a program that you believe in specifically. But since I started with Artemis and, and even before um, as a director of the school, money to that that is unrestricted money that goes into the general account that I can direct towards the biggest need is also priceless. So I think don't be concerned about necessarily just giving to the organization and their general account, which maybe that covers health insurance for staff, right? Maybe it covers gas um, on, uh, you know, trips to the capital. Um, it's again, it's not as personally meaningful, but if you trust the organization and the decisions that they're making uh, and, and you feel comfortable trusting them to handle your money, um, with what's most important and what and where it's most needed, general account funding is so important to an organization. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if they don't give you a straightforward answer, raise that red flag right away. Perfect. Yeah, and I actually kind of like that. That's so simple because sometimes I think that, like for me, people who maybe are wired like me, I get excited about a lot of different things. I can go down some rabbit holes, but I usually need like three choices. Like I need something narrowed down for me because I can go yep. crazy. And if you can keep it simple like that, you know that you're making a difference and an impact without um, overwhelming yourself you know, and confusing yep. yourself. So I, I like that yeah. a lot. Yeah. And I think, again, it varies from organization to organization and where they're, what the priority is. Um, you know, for Artemis, uh, and I'll just, <laughs> I'm always encouraging people to donate. So I don't want to discourage that, but I'm using this example as an example of kind of what standard and what to expect. Like money donated to Artemis, 20% of that goes to the National Wildlife Federation for our general fund. And again, that, that does include, um, some of that includes um, programming that we don't get direct funding for. Um, that includes, you know, people who, that includes the human resources department and the accounting department and all of that less sexy organizational stuff um, that doesn't get grant funding. Uh, but the other 80% goes directly towards our programming. Awesome. Thank and I feel like that's that. pretty standard. Yeah. 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 That's incredible. Um, 
my last question is uh, what is your next adventure or the one you're the most excited about? Oh gosh. So um, it's not a specific adventure uh, because I don't have anything on the calendar as to where and when it's going to happen, but I'm really looking forward to ice fishing this winter. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. I went out um, ice fishing for the first time last year and it was way more fun than I thought it would be. <laughs> I, was like, I don't like being cold. Now I'm cold and wet. Um, but <laughs> so yes, I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to ice fishing quite a bit in the next couple months. Cool. Will you be ice fishing in Montana? Yes, I will. Cool. That sounds like really fun. I mean, I've done uh, I I've been ice fishing for quite some time now, and I I I've, I love it. Uh, it is surprise. I agree. It is surprisingly fun. Um, I was very shocked how much I loved it when I first got into it about, oh, 11 years ago or so. Um, genuinely surprised. Uh, yeah. but ice fishing in Montana just sounds very neat to me. Everything in Montana sounds pretty neat to me, <laughs> <laughs> but that's cool. Yeah. Well, I don't, yeah. Again, I've, I've only been out the one time. Um, so I don't have a big pool of experiences to draw from on what's normal or what's possible. But this one time we were, um, we were in a shanty using, you know, the, the lures that glow in the dark. Mm -hmm. Um, and so looking down in the hole and I'm a, I'm normally a, a fly fisher. And so you don't really get to see the fish playing at the lure until, or at the fly until they strike. But looking down, like you could just see them swimming by it. It was like, it was like being at an aquarium with your fishing pole. It was, it was just fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah. That, and then that, I made some great uh, fish cakes afterwards. And that was also fun. And there was kibasa. <laughs> it's just win-win. <laughs> it is, it is nice. Cause I, I feel like I grew up doing more of the types of hunting and fishing where you have to be like quiet and stealthy and like, it's more solo typically. And there is so like, for people who don't want to do that, this is where I feel like ice fishing was like very like life changing for me is because with ice fishing, you can have a place to be warm and a heater and you can make food and drink mm -hmm. and yep. just have a good time um, on the ice. It's not about being like really quiet and still because um, yep. sometimes you need that and other times you need something that you can just like goof around, and have fun with. And I think, yep. uh, yeah, I love that. That's super neat. It it was really funny, too, because I went with a, a good friend of mine and her uh, then boyfriend, now husband, and she wasn't fishing. She um, was sitting outside of the shanty in the sun because it was one of those beautiful, cold, sunny days reading. And he and I were hunkered down in this dark shanty, staring into our individual holes. And she's like, just listening to the conversation. I was like, oh, wow, did you see that one? That was a big one. <laughs> just like hours of that kind of conversation. It was just, yeah. Was, yeah, it was, I imagine... Um, it's a funny thing to observe, but oh. it was a delightful thing to participate in. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Funny to observe, delightful to participate <laughs> in. I like that a lot. It, it definitely is. Uh, I actually have been thinking about that a lot. I need to get I like an ice fishing guru guest on the podcast because I, I haven't really yes. talked about it. And it's, yeah, a special thing. Yep. <laughs> um, so I'm excited for that this winter. <laughs> Good. That's awesome. I'm excited for you. I want to. I want to see and hear about it. Um, thank you so much. I feel like there's just from how, what I 
learned about you and Artemis. I, I have other like thoughts and questions and things I want to know. And I, I really look forward to um, continuing to, to learn from you and the organization. And I really appreciate your time today. Seriously, uh, it was great. And um, maybe we can we can talk again. Yes, I would love that. This was wonderful. I always, yeah, it was great. Um, it was it was worth the ten months for sure. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yay. <laughs> It was worth the 10 months. Marsha, thank you again so much. You're a total badass and lovely soul. I can't wait to see the big things you do for these women, for Artemis, for conservation. You're incredible, girl. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for all of you listening. I hope that you enjoyed yourself. Please let me know. Let me know if you have questions, thoughts. Leave us a review. I love your feedback and appreciate you guys so much. I can't believe this year is wrapping up already. I 2020 has been rough and we're going into 2021. I know it's a year of, you know, hope <laughs> and something to look forward to and, and change. And again, taking action. Like, guys, let's let's do the damn things. Let's get out there. Let's live our lives. I hope somewhere along the line on this podcast, if you've been listening, it's inspired you just a little bit to, to get out there, have some fun, breathe some fresh air, and go do some epic shit, whatever that is. Until next time. <laughs>